Hi, this is Kenny Albert. You're listening to the Broadway Hat Podcast with your host, Kyle Hall, the number one podcast for all things Rangers hockey. Welcome back to the Broadway Hat Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Hall. This week, the big news for both the NHL and the Rangers is the announcement of the new 56-game schedule, as well as a new division setup. The NHL will be broken up into four divisions this year, with the Rangers playing in the East Division, with Boston, Buffalo, New Jersey, the Islanders, Philly, Pittsburgh, and Washington. The Rangers will play eight games against each of those teams, with the season opener on January 14th at the Garden against the Islanders, and training camp is set to start on January 3rd, so the season truly is now right around the corner. This week, we're joined by 14-year NHL veteran John Ogrodnik. John played in 928 NHL games, scored 402 goals, and had 827 points. He played in five All-Star games and was a first-team All-NHL player in the 1984-85 season after scoring 55 goals and having 105 points. We talked to John about his time playing with the Red Wings, playing with a young Steve Eisenman, getting traded to the Nordiques for a playoff run, his time in New York and playing on the bread and butter line, and also a really great story about his time over in Australia with Wayne Gretzky. Let's send it to our interview with John. And today we are joined by a very special guest, five-time All-Star, 928 career NHL games, 402 goals, 14-year veteran, John Ogrodnik. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Kyle. It's uh, great to be with you. Now you guys can't see this, but John, I know it's wall behind him, has all his All-Star game jerseys hanging, some Red Wings jerseys hanging. It's quite, it's quite the collection you have yourself there. It is. You know what I always say, you know, you don't really appreciate it too much when... Uh, you know, when you're playing the game, you know, and, uh, but after you've been out of the game for a long time and, um, you know, you tend to appreciate some of your achievements that you had through your career, you know, obviously you had some, you know, pretty good personal, uh, you know, achievements, but, uh, the ultimate obviously is winning a Stanley cup. And, um, you know, unfortunately I was not a team that did that. You know, the, the last time I guess was, uh, you know, winning a couple Memorial cups, which was a championship of all junior hockey, but, uh, Never got by the second round when it came to playoffs, whether with the Rangers or um, or the Quebec Nordiques. Talk about your junior hockey. So you started off in uh, New Westminster for uh, the WHL. Yes, uh, uh, New Westminster Bruins, suburb of Vancouver, Canada. Uh, you know, you had the OHL, which is Ontario, Quebec Major, which is Quebec. But in the Western Hockey League, you had uh, you had to cross over four provinces, and plus. Uh, um, you know, had to go down to Portland, Seattle and play games down there. So the travel was crazy. But, uh, you know, the New Westminster Bruins was a team that actually went to the Memorial Cup four years in a row. Ernie, Ernie Punch McLean was the coach. And um, back in the late 70s, it was, uh, Kyle, you probably know this, it was all pretty much intimidation. So <laughs> Ernie always had the biggest, toughest team. So uh, they kind of choked the Memorial Cup the first two years. They uh, they were very good. And then... Um, uh, I got called up in 77 and we finally won it in 77. Nothing to do with me. I was just very uh, honored to be on that team. We won it in 77. And then uh, in 78, we won it again. And, uh, you know, we just barely made the playoffs, but the organization was just used to winning. And 
somehow uh, we didn't have quite the team we had the year before, but we ended up uh, beating the Peter, uh, Peterborough Peets that year in the, in the finals. And um, the year before was the Ottawa 67s with Bobby Smith and uh, Steve Payne and um, Doug Wilson, those guys. So exciting times, you know. And then from there, obviously, I was drafted by Detroit in, se- in the 79 draft. Yes, you were taking 66 overall. Now, were you expecting to go higher in the draft, or was that pretty much where you were slotted to stay? No, it's. I'm glad you asked that question because I always tell this. You know, you know, people always want to hear stories. You know, when you're out there having a couple, as Mickey Redmond would say, a couple Coca Colas. Uh, you know, people want to hear stories and. Uh, I had a pretty good year as an 18-year-old, but uh, back then, 18-year-olds couldn't get drafted. And then when I was 19 in my draft year, they actually just started the underage. But, uh, you know, as an 18-year-old, I, uh, you know, I ended up, I believe, with well around 59 goals. And uh, the next year, which was my draft year, you know, I wasn't playing quite as much. And I'm like, well, gosh, what the heck's going on? So my coach, Ernie McLean, called me into his office and he said, John, he says, don't worry. He says, you're going to go in the first or second round here. He says, I got nine other 19-year-olds. I got to get drafted. And I guess <laughs> back then, I don't know if it still works that way, but the more kids that get drafted, the more money the junior team makes. And, um, you know, so I wasn't getting quite the ice time and stuff like that. And meanwhile, Brian Prop and Ray Allison and, uh, well, Delego was a year before me. But, uh, you know, these guys are racking up 150 points, and they all go in the first round. And, you know, I'm listening to their draft. and. First round doesn't go, you know, I don't get picked. Second round, I don't get picked. Third round, I don't get picked. And then finally, the fourth round, as you know, 66th overall. So, you know, I'm getting picked by the, you know, by the Detroit Red Wings. As it turns out, you know, Ernie McLean was a part-time scout for the Red Wings. And there's actually still a few guys that played in New West that retired in Kalamazoo, Michigan, which for the longest time was the farm team for the Detroit Red Wings. So um, actually, one of the gentlemen, Neil Meadmore, that I actually roomed with in New West, <laughs> actually, we we still keep in touch. Uh, he comes to Detroit frequently, but he's out in Kalamazoo, and he had a pretty good career in the, um, you know, the International Hockey League there. So I got drafted by Detroit, and I said, you know, there's no way I'm going to end up in Kalamazoo. You know, uh, no insult to the other guys, but they just worked my butt off in training camp. And ironically, that year, they just moved the farm team to um, – the Adirondacks in upstate New York and um, in Glens Falls. Anyways, I spent about three months in the minors, and then George Lyle blew his knee out. Um, he was on the left wing with Dale McCord and Mike Foligno, and um, Bobby Crom was the coach at the time and called me up. And uh, Ned Harkness, who was running you know, the Adirondack team, who was infamous back in the 70s, um, he was kind of running the Red Wing organization and was forcing players to get haircuts and all that. He kind of took the college route towards professionals back then. It didn't quite work out. So the nickname was Harkness from the Darkness. But uh, Ned actually came up to me and said, John, you're going up for the weekend. And I just said to myself, you know what, I'm not coming back. You know what? And so like I tell kids nowadays, you get that opportunity, man. You got to make the most of it. You got to do what you can do. Yeah, you definitely did. You came up and you played the rest of the year with the Red Wings with the big club. Uh, you actually put up 32 points in your first season in only 40 games. So you really uh, you came in the NHL and, and you really produced well right away. And then after that, you like you said, you stuck around in your first full year with the Red Wings. Uh, you made the All-Star team your first year, first full season. So what was that like? Is 21 that at the time, yeah. Time? You know what? It was, uh, you know, the whole thing, Kyle, is whether you can acclimate yourself to um, to the next level. You know, it's like an onion peeling. You know, you play with some pretty good kids in, uh, you know, midget hockey. And, you know, then you go to tier two hockey. And, you know, not all the kids can make it to that level. And then you go from tier two to major junior. You know, and again, there, you know, certain kids can't make it. So 
it's a question whether you can acclimate yourself. And I didn't know if I could, you know, what I remember when I was a kid, I mean, I used to watch, uh, you know, major junior hockey and, uh, believe it or not, I was like five foot five. I didn't start growing until I was like 15. And I used to play defense and they didn't move me up to forward because I was uh, so small. And, uh, and I just remember going to junior team, uh, junior games with the Edmonton Oil Kings. And, man, these guys were monsters. You know, they're 6'2", 200 pounds. I'm looking and, you know, you're like, holy cow, will I ever be able to make it in this league? And, you know, you get the opportunity, you acclimate yourself, and boom, you know. So, you know, then I'm playing in uh, New West, and I remember going to the Vancouver Coliseum watching the NHL games. And, um, you know, I'm looking at these guys. I remember the Rangers were in town playing Vancouver. I remember looking at big Nick Foytu and – his hands could barely fit in his gloves and he had wrists that were unbelievably big. I'm going, you know, and you're a kid and you're kind of in awe looking at these guys and you're like, man, you know what? And, you know, then you get the opportunity and um, I would say probably um, when I got called up, you know, towards the end of the season, I started feeling pretty good. And then the next season I felt like, yeah, I can acclimate myself to this level. But that was my job, Kyle. I mean, I, I had to score goals. I wasn't a puck handler. You know, my stick was always uh, shaped like a seven iron. I was kind of like the the joke of the hockey stick in the NHL. And, um, you know, it was like a wedge. And um, But it was there for shooting. It wasn't for tipsy doodling. And um, so you're right, yeah. So then you end up getting 35. And then uh, I think the following year might have had 40 or something like that. And I remember talking with um, Dale McCord at the time and um, not being arrogant or cocky or anything like that. I just, you know, he was my roommate, uh, you know, when he was in Detroit. And I remember talking to him saying, you know, Dale, I think I might be able to score 50 in this league. And, um, you know, he kind of looked at me like, huh, you know, and maybe it was premature. I mean, it was just a friendly conversation. There was no arrogance in there and stuff like that. It's just, you know, you just had this feeling that you could acclimate yourself to the next level. And, um, and I should have done it the one year. You did. Well, I should have done it the year before. What happened was I had 42 with 16 games ago in the season, and I broke my wrist in Chicago. Um, had the puck along the boards, and I made a cross-ice pass. And Troy Murray hit me and uh, wasn't even a hard hit. Uh, Troy was with Chicago. Didn't even knock me over. But my arms were extended when I made the pass, and he just caught my left wrist the right way, and I looked down, and I saw that it was broken. And uh, so I basically missed the last 16 games of the season. And... Um, you know, and it was frustrating because I should have hit the 50 at that point. But, um, um, and obviously I ended up doing it the following season. So, so going back to that first your rookie year, you, so you're 21 years old, you're in the all-star game. What is it like walking into that locker room as a 21 year old? Did you have the respect of everyone in the locker room at the time? Were they kind of just like, okay, this 21 year old, let's see what he can do. Well, first of all, how I felt, I was nervous as heck. There's no question about it. And, uh, you know, yeah, even kids nowadays or even, you know, 10 years ago or 12, you know, I mean, the thing is, Kyle, you're, you're, you're playing with the guys that you had their hockey cards, you know, some of these guys growing up. So you're in awe and you're nervous and you're excited. There's no question about it. As far as respect, no, everybody was there. I mean, everybody's there just to have a good time. You know, there wasn't a lot of effort involved. You know what I'm saying? It was more of a show, not like they do now, but, uh, uh, no, everybody, you know, there was no, uh, you know, arrogance in the, in the rumor. Like I know everybody was very friendly to everybody. And, um, and I'm sure some of the older guys that were on the team were probably, you know, could understand, uh, you know, the, the nervousness of a younger player being there, but no, there was no, um, you know, no tier level or anything like that. And he just went out there and, uh, but it was nerve wracking. There's no question about it. It was very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so you talk about your, you know, obviously your great goal scoring through that the probably one of the best goal scorers in the whole 1980 decade. Uh, you led you led the Red Wings uh, six years in a row in scoring, and you had the one big year with your fifty five goals. Um, did you feel the pressure every night to produce? 
with a team that was, you know, not as good as the 70s Red Wings. You know, again, another great question, Kyle. You know what? Um, I felt the pressure. And, um, you know, because that was my job to score goals. You know, I wasn't a fighter. Uh, you know, I mean, my job was to score. And if I wasn't scoring, I was going to, you know, I wasn't going to be in the league. And uh, you felt pressure because you felt like you weren't contributing. You know, and I saw myself play on videotapes and stuff like that. And, you know, I was pretty much invisible out there unless unless I was getting five to six shots on goal a game. You know, then you were noticeable. Because, again, I'm not that center raceman that's going to dangle, you know, and go up the ice and, you know, make, you know, you know stick handle and try and dangle through guys. Um, but ironically, the, some of the best games I played is when somehow I could not be pressured and I just went out there like a kid and say John just go out there and have fun go out there and have fun and it's amazing how much more energy I would have you know you breathe properly you're not tensed up you know you're more relaxed out there and you just go out there and have fun but unfortunately you know and like any sports I mean it's 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 all mental it's all mental I mean you know you look at Tiger Woods now you know you know just a an icon and um you know now mentally he struggles when he plays and stuff like that and it's, it's just it's all sports is mental and uh the worst thing college is when you go in a slump man that that is just the worst thing then you really start to fight it and um and it can get ugly now another guy that played during the 80s that was pretty good wayne gretzky you played in i think four of your all-star games with him um and also i, I don't know if you were you know, with his any team canada teams as well but what was it like sharing the ice with him and just and also competing against him throughout your entire career um gosh i hate to see it you know, i don't hate to see it again but again another great question uh, gretz was um i actually the year i was voted first team all-star and uh, after i had the 55 goal year and uh, finished with what 100 and some points or whatever i actually started the all-star game with him on the left side and um which had him and yuri curry and uh i was very nervous there's no question about it but that lasted one shift you know, after the first shift, boom, they put Messe up there with him. And I, you know, I dropped down to the next line, which I had no problems with. But, you know, you know, Wainer was, uh, I mean, again, he was an icon. I mean, this guy was unbelievable. He had eyes in the back of his head. And I tell, you know, I tell a lot of people, again, when you start, you know, you start talking about hockey stories. I mean, the guy wasn't the biggest guy. He wasn't the fastest guy. He didn't have the hardest shot. Um you know, but he was just a smart hockey player with eyes in the back of his head because, and I use that analogy because, you know, throughout your career and training camp and whatever you, um, there's a lot of kids out there that can skate, they can shoot, uh, they can stick handle. And Kyle, as you know, it's how smart you play the game. You don't have to be the fastest skater, have the hardest shot. It's moving the puck and playing a smart, intelligent game. And that's what differentiates the minors from the majors, I believe. So playing with Gretz, it was nerve wracking, but I told him a story. I actually, um, my wife and I actually on a charity event, uh, went down to Australia four or five years ago, not to play, uh, Dave Hansen, uh, who I played with in the minors when I was there for three months from Slapshot. He was like the celebrity coach of the U S team. And I was like the celebrity coach of the Canadian team. So these are all younger kids. And we ended up playing in six different cities throughout, uh, throughout Australia. So one of the, um, when we were in Sydney, they actually flew Wayne in for a black tie event. And, um, you know, uh, Dave Hansen, his wife, Betty Ann, my wife and myself and, uh, uh Wayne. And, uh, he had a couple, uh, friends with him or his son, I believe. And, um, 
we had time to have a couple of cokes and a burger, uh, you know, at a at a restaurant, and um, and we spent a few hours with him. And um, it's the first time I really was able to sit down and talk. And just a super nice guy. And I told him a story. This is going back to your question with the All Star Game. You know, I said, Wayne, I said, you probably don't remember this, but for me, it meant a lot. But I believe we were in New Jersey, and we had our morning skate for this All-Star game. And then we're all going, you know, then, you know, slowly everybody's getting on the bus to get back to the hotel. And I'm outside signing autographs for kids and whatever. All of a sudden, Gretz walks by and just grabs the, the marker out of my hand and starts scribbling a bunch of autographs, and he jumps on the bus. <laughs> I go, well, that was interesting. But it was funny because uh, when we got on the bus and we started moving, he actually came over and he said, John, he said, I just, you know, I po-, he actually apologized. And he said, I apologize for doing that. He said, I just, you know, but, you know, he would have been stuck there for hours signing autographs is basically what happened. So I told him that story. Obviously, he's not going to remember that. But to me, it was uh, it was a hell of a story. I mean, just a, a class guy for for doing something like that. And um, I told him, I told him that meant a lot to me, you know, and, uh, but super nice guy and it was a great time we spent about three four hours with him he wanted to rent a boat and go in the ocean and um you know and just uh, do the harbor and, um, around there in a sydney but uh, the weather was too adverse to be able to do something like that so another guy you play with uh halfway through your redwinds career was steve eiserman when he came up he had a you know great i think he was a final uh, runner up in the caller that year did you see right away how good he was? Could you see right away that he was going to be an unbelievable? No, I mean, he was good. Don't get me wrong. You know what? Uh, the way he matured into a hockey player is unbelievable. Um, so, Kyle, like, he, he was good. Don't get me wrong. Okay. And, uh, you know, he was 18 when he came up, and he was a young kid. And, um, you know, it's quite the adjustment for him. And, um, you know, and he knows this probably also. When he first came in, he, he – you know, he still tried to do some of his junior stuff that you just couldn't get away with in the NHL. You know, he tried to, you know, stick handle and try and beat everybody by himself. And um, and I don't mean that in a selfish manner. That's just the way his game was. And he got away with stuff like that in junior. But in the show, you know, it took him a little time to, again, acclimate himself to the NHL. And, um, and his game at a rapid pace became much smarter, if you want to say that. You know, so he was good. And he, you know, when I left, he was very good. And then he just, you know, I just keep using the word icon, but eventually he just really matured and, uh, you know, a, a star player in the NHL. There's no question about it. Very quiet in the dressing room. I always liked Stevie. He was kind of, you know, humble and quiet, didn't say much. And when he made him captain, he, more, you know, he led on by example on the ice and not so much verbally in the dressing room. And, um, and it was frustrating for him also. You know what? He, um, you know, he, he came from Peterborough, I believe, and he came to Detroit. And he, um, like anybody else, you're kind of happy to be in the NHL at the beginning of your career, but eventually the losing just wears on you. And it's not, you know, and it's, um, and it's not enjoyable. The hockey's not enjoyable and not making the playoffs is not enjoyable. So, you know, we, we all went through a dry spell there for a few years. Um, you know, my situation didn't change until I got traded to Quebec, but, um, Stevie waited a long time before they became competitive and, um, you know, and he hung in there, but he's, um, you know, he just got better and better. So, um, you know, let's just say when he came in the league, you know, he was like at an eight. And then after a few couple years or a few years in the league, he became a 10, you know, it, um, um, extraordinary hockey player. Um, he's well, uh, well loved here in, in the city of Detroit. And I still communicate with him, and he's got his work cut out for him. You know, we kind of joke. You know, he's 
He's like the general manager of the general managers of the eighties when he had to rebuild the, the Red Wings. He's in that situation now. So, um, hey, let's see what he does. You know what? He did a great job recruiting, uh, you know, players in uh, Tampa Bay. There's no question about it. And um, like anything else, Kyle, you know, it all starts from the top. And you know, Stevie's smart enough to realize he's also got to surround himself with good people. So he's got a great scouting staff. And like any business, it starts from the top and you build it all the way down. And um, he's good at that. He's got great scouts. But he even said, John, you know what? Hey, you know what? You're drafting these kids at 18 now. You just don't know who's going to pan out and who's not going to pan out. I mean, there's guys that went the first round when I played. You know, I remember a guy by the name of Perry Turnbull, you know, big, strong left winger played for the Portland Winterhawks. I mean, the guy, I think he had 72 goals or 70-some goals in junior hockey. And it was tough and uh, went in the first round. And um I mean, he played in the NHL. You know, I think he had one thirty-goal year. I could be wrong, and um, but he was never that stud. You know, for a first-round draft pick, and he kind of bounced around. Uh, you know, to a few teams, and you know, I talked to some people who played with him in St. Louis, and you know, as it turns out, like we talked earlier, uh, no insult uh, when I say this, but remember how I told you it's how smart you play the game, and you know, being smart defensively, moving the puck, and playing the game. In junior hockey, he could kind of bull his way through, you know, with his intimidation. And, um, and I always joke about this because uh, Perry always had the squirrely eyes when he'd get in a fight and kind of intimidate kids when they were younger. But, uh, you know, you get in the NHL and they're like, hey, I'll straighten those eyes out. <laughs> you know, there's no intimidation there. <laughs> so, but like Stevie, you know what? Yeah, great hockey player. You know, I thought he did a fantastic job in Tampa with that organization. And I tell you what, the fans here in Detroit, I'm living here in Farms Nails, Michigan now, and uh, um, you know what? They're they're dying. Uh, you know they uh, they're hoping that Stevie's the guy that can turn it around. And you know I think he's hoping to have a. His goal was to have something competitive here. I believe in about two to three years. But of course, Kyle, this virus has kind of screwed everything up. And you know who knows when this season's going to start. And um, so it's quite the task. There's no question about it for Steve. Yeah, definitely. Now uh, alluded to your Quebec. Uh, career as well. Was that a surprise when you got dealt to Quebec, or was that something that... No, I didn't know it was going to happen. It was going to happen. <clears throat> Excuse me. The rumor was at that time, uh, you know, I heard it from some pretty good sources, and it could they could be wrong. I don't know. Uh, the rumor was um, it was a six-player deal that was already done, and uh, the main player, um, I was told, and it was, it was supposed to be, um, you know, Peter Klima. So what was going to happen was... Um, Stevie and I were not quite uh, conducive on the same line, only because Stevie was more of a goal-scoring center iceman. Um, you know, so they ended up putting Gerard Gallant with Stevie, and they had Klimo with Adam Oates. And as you know, Adam Oates is a premier playmaker, asked Brett Hall. So Oatesy and I got along. We were friends and stuff like that. So I think the whole idea was that um, – I was going to move in with Adam. We had played together for a little bit, um, and then they put Peter with him. And then the uh, player out of Quebec, the main player, I think, was Brent Ashen, was a great checker and could get you 20, maybe 25, maybe 30 goals. I don't know. I can't remember. But um, you put him on the checking line with Sean Burr, and we would have had three fantastic lines. But it's kind of a funny story. It's uh, it's not funny. It's funny now. It wasn't funny at the time. But um, we had our morning skate that day, and we are playing Quebec that night. So, you know, Donnie Murdoch, right, from the Rangers? Yes, and he was scouting for Phyllis Mzito with the, with the yeah, Rangers, and he was in town. And uh, we're just standing outside the dressing room of the Red Wing, uh, the Red Wing dressing room. We're just talking about the old days because Donnie finished career off, his career off in Detroit. 
So we were kind of BSing there for a while and whatever. And uh, all of a sudden, Jacques Demers, our coach, and Michel Bergeron, the Quebec coach, come out and they walk by. And um, Michel Bergeron just stares at me. And, and you know, like, you know, and uh, no disrespect, but the French do like to stare a lot. And he's kind of staring at me and staring at me as they walk by. And I go to Donnie Murdoch. I said, Doc, I said, what's he staring at? And I remember Doc going, I don't know, whatever. And so Doc and I are still talking. And, you know, Doc says, you know, Phil's been trying to get you in New York. But Jimmy DeVolano says, you're untouchable. He's not going to trade you. Wow, wow, wow. You know, all this stuff. And, um, and um, you know, whether that was true or not, I, I'm just telling you what Donnie told me. And, um, you know, all of a sudden they come out of the visitor's dress and they walk by and Michelle Bergeron just sits there and stares at me. And, uh, you know, I'm like, yes, this is crazy. You know, it's kind of weird. And I should have went home and, you know, had my pregame meal and just got out of there. But, um, and again, whether this is accurate or not, I don't know. And this is the rumors that I had heard. But the last minute they changed the deal. Bergeron wanted two fifty goal scores, uh, so I was told he wouldn't do the deal unless he got Bogradnik instead of Klima. Again, Kyle, I don't, I can't say that's factual, but you know, from the sources that I talked to, that's what I was told. So I don't want to, you know, you know, anybody to take this for heart. So we played Quebec that night. <laughs> Jimmy calls me into the manager's equipment room and says, "John, we just traded you to Quebec," and uh, I had to change dress rooms that night. So that's how it all happened. So you played in Quebec for just a handful of games, and then you, you made the playoff run with them. Uh, what was it like playing in that city? Did you enjoy it up there? Did you not? I know there's some split reviews from some players that played up there before. Well, it was the highlight of uh, one of the highlights of my career, okay, because in Detroit we didn't really, you know, make the playoffs maybe once or twice maybe. I, I know we played St. Louis the one year, but the hockey was – exciting it was fun okay because we had we had a very good team uh you know he had michelle goulet 50 goal scorer with dale hunter you had the stashney brothers at the time were some of the top european players then he had myself with jason lafreniere and lane lambert so he had two 50 goal scorers and he had the stashney brothers so i struggled a little bit when i got there you know it was a little you know trying to find a place to, to live and rent and you know it was just kind of hectic whatever but um, I was able to get it together in the playoffs, and uh, it was just exhilarating, Kyle. I mean, you know what? We beat Hartford in the first round. I think it was only a five-game series, and then uh, we ended up taking Montreal to uh, seven games, and we lost to Montreal in the seventh game. But to play in the infamous battle of Quebec, it, it was exciting. There's no question about it. It was exciting. And, um, you, know, gr- you know, great city to play hockey in and stuff like that. The negatives were they didn't really want to speak English. You know, the negatives were, you know what, your career is short. The tax bracket's almost 60% when you include provincial. I think it's 50, at that time 59 or 59.5%. And then, the, you know, probably the biggest uh, situation, Kyle, was I was always nervous or concerned about life after hockey. And, you know, as you know, back then we didn't make, you know, the million-dollar salaries. And um, I was always nervous about that. And I just felt that while I was playing, I had to really go out there and um, – you know, meet people and try and prepare myself for life after hockey. And I knew I wasn't going to retire up there. And um, um, so there was multiple concerns. So, you know, I had asked to get traded. Um, they actually said, John, have a good playoff, you know, and then we'll do our best to get, you know, to move you in the summertime. And it wasn't so much that. It was just the excitement of the playoffs, you know, and the excitement of that, like I said, going seven games against the Montreal Canadiens. It was just exhilarating. And, and that, 
year in the playoffs, both Michel Goulet and I both had nine goals in 13 games. And uh, that was that was extraordinary, Kyle. I, I really, really enjoyed the playoffs there. And then from there, uh, you moved over to the Rangers. Uh, like you alludes before, the Rangers were always interested in you, even when you were in Detroit. So what was that transition like going from the small, you know, a, a smaller, I guess, uh, franchise like Quebec over to New York? Well, what happened was my agent called me. He said, listen, John, you got an option here. He said, the Pittsburgh Penguins are interested and New York Rangers are interested. Where would you like to go? You know what? And I was always enamored with New York, New York City. And even later on in the years, I think Wayne Gretzky said that every player has got to have the chance of playing New York. I mean, it, it, so, uh, you know, we that was years later he made that comment. But, you know, my wife and I chose uh, New York. Um, so they end up making the trade uh, to New York. And um, the negative thing was, and I feel bad because I really, I, what happened, Kyle, was I just lost all my confidence when I went to New York and I didn't play well under Phyllis Mazzito. I thought my career was done. I mean, I couldn't. You talk about a slump. I couldn't do anything. And, you know, what happens with my career, uh, and every player is different, I always needed training camp and maybe a week or so into the season before everything came together, you know, especially as a goal scorer. I mean, I remember going to training camp, going down the wing, letting a slap shot go, falling on my – a slap shot uh, go and uh, falling on my face and, you know, going 10 feet wide. And so it wasn't quite – you know, I was skinny. I was always in shape. But the whole timing aspect, you know, just feeling for the game, when the jump in the holes, all that stuff, it just – I just needed that time. And when I came to New York – First of all, I, you know, Quebec promised to trade me in the, in the offseason. They didn't, so I ended up not showing up to training camp. And then I ended up showing up for the last week. And then I got traded to Quebec or to New York, and um, I just wasn't ready. And, you know, you know, uh, Phil, Phil's a great guy. Phil Esposito's a great guy. And I, like I said, I feel bad I didn't play better for him. And uh, Eddie Jackman, I believe, was the assistant coach. And, um, and I just struggled. I just never got my confidence. I didn't have that time. I just explained to you to, you know, get my, you know, you know, confidence going, you know. And then the next season, it continued, you know. And I just remember, uh, you know, Phil was upset at me because, you know, I, I wasn't having a very good training camp. But I'm notorious for not having good training camps. And it just... Uh, pressure or whatever and uh, I just never got my confidence and uh, so the two years I was there I was not happy with my performance and again I felt bad because again I like Phyllis Mazzino I like Eddie Jackman they're great guys I just couldn't I struggled so then the following season Roger Nielsen takes over and Roger is um Roger said, John, he says, his, his philosophy was he always gives somebody 10 games. So it, finally it worked out because in training camp, they put a line together of myself, Kelly Kissio, and Brian Mullen. And um, one thing, Kyle, for me to be successful, I have to be in a, on a line that we all click and work well together because I'm not going to do it individually. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and we just clicked. We clicked. We had a very good line, as you know, with Kissio Mullen and myself. So we had training camp and uh, ten and ten games, and that's all I needed. And all of a sudden, boom! I got my confidence, and boom! End up having a forty goal year. And uh, I, it had a lot to do with Roger Nielsen just being a little patient and giving you know, you know, what I'm saying they to get the confidence going. And um, you know, that's what makes a good coach or a good general. You know, they got to. 
every player is different. You know, some guys can come out of the shoot and get going, and other guys, you know what, you just, like I said, I'm sure, <laughs> sure with the Red Wings, a lot of people are like, oh, my God, you're in training camp a lot of those years. I just looked awful, and they're like, oh, my God, you know, but they, I guess they knew once the season started and everything started happening, it'll all start to click in. Yeah, so for the New York, you know, your new season, you have 74 points, 43, which is really one of the best seasons almost in Ranger single season history uh, for points-wise. Now, with Kelly Kiss familiarity with him from Detroit, is that why he clicked right away? Or is that just something that developed in that training camp? No, just developed in that training camp. Kelly was actually in Detroit for a little bit, but I don't think we played that much together or whatever. With Kissio and Brian Mullen, Kissio was a right-handed center iceman. An important three, the important thing, Kyle, with the three of us, nobody tried to do anything individual. Nobody tried to beat somebody one-on-one. Nobody tried to do that. You know, We all just moved the puck quickly, and we did a great job cycling down low. And... Um, and we never really held on to the puck, you know, for a long period of time. And um, and we just gelled. It was just, you know, it was just tic-tac-toe, boom, 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 and moving the puck. And, you know, and um, and it was great. And, uh, you know, that was probably part of the reason why I struggled the years before also, because I really couldn't find – I didn't have that connection on a line, and, you know, as far as uh, working well. And that's and that's what you need. I mean, again, that's where coaching comes in, and they've got to try and find the right chemistry on a line. Who's working well with whom, you know? And uh, I remember when they traded for uh, Bernie Nichols, who I see up here in uh, when I play some charity games in Ontario. I run into Bernie. Hasn't changed at all, man. He still looks like he's thirty years old, and he still skates, and he does a great job out there. And um, you know, but Roger. <sighs> This one didn't quite work out. He gave it 10 games, and he thought he'd put his best left winger and right winger with Bernie, and that would work. It was myself, Bernie, and Darren Turcotte, and uh, it was (laughs) god-awful. It was the worst line. (laughs) And we had to stick with it for 10 games. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, put me back with Kissing and Mullen. Hurry, please, put me back. I was like, um, you know, because the chemistry just wasn't there. You know, it wasn't like one person's, you know, what I'm saying. It's it's just all chemistry and who works well with who. And, uh and the crazy thing about it was, um, I don't even remember, uh, well, it might have been 91, or, uh, the infamous trade where they traded um, Kevin Miller to Detroit. And I don't know if we even won a game after that trade. And we, fought, you know, we ended up getting beat out in the first round of the playoffs. So this is the biggest frustrating part of the career when I was in New York because that season, Kelly Kiss, who uh, – I'm guess I can't remember. I think he bruised his ribs or had rib issues. So they called up Kevin Miller, and we just clicked. Okay, I mean Kevin, smart hockey player, moved the puck, right-handed center iceman, scoring a bunch of goals. And again, Kyle, it's my job to score goals. There's, you know, if I'm not scoring goals, then I'm not going to be in the league. Okay, but we had one of the hottest lines in the league, and we're just on fire. And uh, you know, then uh, Kelly ends up coming back. He's not a hundred percent. And it's not Kelly's fault. He's not 100%. So he's struggling out there. Our our line's struggling out there, and the team's not doing very, very well. The team was doing well when we had two offensive lines going in. So when Bernie's line was going and our line was going, you know, obviously we had great defense with Leachy and James Patrick and, you know, very good goaltending, I believe, with uh, Rector and Vaz Beesbrook. You know, we, we had a good team. I mean, it's uh, – I don't know if we're on the uh, close to winning the President's Trophy or not. I just can't remember way back when, but uh, – Anyway, so Kelly's struggling. We're not winning, and, um, you know, and our line's struggling. And then Kelly ends up re-injuring himself, and they put Kevin back with us again. And again, our line's on fire again, you know, and scoring a bunch of goals and teams winning. And, um, 
uh, you know, everything's going well. And for the life of me, and you know, Colin sports, you never mess with something that's going well. Kevin, or, I'm sorry, Joey, I'm sorry. Kelly Kissio even told me that he went to Roger Nielsen and told Roger, leave those guys alone. They're playing unbelievable. And, um, and um, I guess Roger mentioned something Well, you're our team captain. I owe it to you this, that, and whatever. And, and no disrespect to Kelly, but unfortunately, Kelly still wasn't 100%. Okay. And he was hurting. And um, for the life of me, when Neil Smith traded Kevin Miller and then Kev and Kelly went back on our line and Kelly wasn't 100%, we started struggling. I don't even know if we won a game after the trading deadline. I believe we got beat out in the first round of playoffs. And, you know, on a team level, as a fan, I mean, that was just very, very, very frustrating. And I know they really berated uh, Neil in the papers and stuff. He almost lost his job over that. And um, um, it was just a bad movie, you know. And, and on a personal level, I probably would have finished up with another 40, 45 goals that season because we were going that well. And, um, um you know, and it just fell apart. And then the following uh, off season, they let Kissio and Mullen go to San Jose in the expansion draft. And that was pretty much a downfall with me in New York because San Jose tried the trade for me to reunite our line. But Neil Smith wanted a lot for me. Um, and he wasn't going to make a boo-boo like he did, obviously, with Kevin Miller. So <laughs> he was very, you know what I'm saying, um, you know, probably intimidated to make a trade, but he wouldn't let me go to San Jose. And then when I came, you know, that season back to New York, I basically didn't have a line. You know, I was playing third line with Doug Waite. And we were lucky if we got two shifts a period. And it kind of just went downhill from there. You talked before about uh, the back line of Brian Leach. Now, you saw when he came up as a rookie, um, what, what did you see in him? It's kind of some of the Eisman question. Did you see the greatness in him right away? Or is that something he also developed around his career? No, I think I saw more of the greatness out of Leach. Two different areas. Again, our situations here. Stevie was a Stevie was a highly skilled hockey player. Okay, it just took him a little time to adapt himself to the NHL style at eighteen. You know, and I don't even know. Gosh, you got me on this one. I don't know how old Leach was when he came to the Rangers, but um, um, Leach. I was very impressed from the beginning because his confidence back there and the moves he could do and controlling the puck and moving the puck as a rookie ugh, was unbelievable. So with Leachy, I saw it a lot quicker. Um, I mean, this guy had the composure, you know, uh, back there as a rookie that uh, I was very, very impressed with. And he moved the puck so well, moved the puck very well. And then your last year there, they bring in Mark Messier. Uh, so what was it like having him in the locker room? You know, it was interesting. I mean, Mark is a highly skilled hockey player. There's no question about it. Um, you know, he's big, he's strong, he can skate. And, um, you know, um, I think we're all excited, uh, you know, when they announced that we're going to have Mark Messier and, you know, on the, on the, you know, with the Rangers and, um, you know, you know, just because of what if he's, you know, what he's, you know, we all played against him and, uh, you know, big, strong, you know, hard skating player, you know, um, um, you know, uh, you know, that that's, you know, a great asset on a hockey club. There's no question about it. Now, when you left the Rangers and you, and you look back, did you see that that team was going to go on a, a run that they did with, you know, how dominant, you know, they won the cup two years later and then, you know, they're <laughs> 
every year in the nineties, they're pretty competitive. Did you see that when you left that? Okay. This team is, is turning the corner. You know what, Kyle, honestly, I thought that, um, yes, I, yes, I could, you know what, you, you gotta understand something you're calling. Even, even, you know, when I was there and like I just told you about Nichols line and our line and stuff like that, we, you know what, it's just a little, excuse me, mishap here or mishap there where we didn't get by the second round, but, um, we were pretty damn close even when we were there. You know what? There might have been one or two people. I don't know. You know what? I'm just telling you, when it comes to the playoffs, it's just one bad goal, one bad pinch by a defenseman, you know, one mistake by any player out there, and the momentum can change. Okay? And I always say you're only as strong as your weakest link out there. You know, we, you know, a bounce here, uh, something there, you know what? We were close, so I don't think it was that much of a dramatic change. I think what happened was when they won the cup, uh, they brought in some more experienced players, and uh, maybe that was it. Because when he, when he brought in those, you know, those older players or experienced players, they're more apt not to make, you know, a little mistake here, a little mistake there. You know, what I'm saying they're much uh, more of a mature team. And that might have been the missing link, you know what I'm saying? Maybe just, you know, with some more 30-year-old players, you know, Mc, you know, McTavish and Larmer and some of these guys are, you know, whoever were on the team back then. That might have been the difference. Now talk about the 91-92 teams. You guys lost in the second round um, after winning the division. And then in the playoffs, they had a rotation of goalies with Richter and Vesbro. Uh, Did you think they should have stuck with Richter the entire time because he had the hot hand in the postseason or – uh, you know, times throughout the entire regular season. That's just how it was. Unfortunately, Kyle, I can't answer that question. I don't know. Um, I honestly don't know. I don't know how goaltenders feel. I know the whole saying is is that when you go in the playoffs, you stick with the one goaltender no matter what. Um, I just can't answer that question. I don't know. They're both very, very good goaltenders, and um, you know, for the longest time, uh, Van Beesburg could have been the mayor of New York City. Well, I don't know if he wants that job now, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, but he was he was an unbelievable goaltender and uh, well-loved in New York. And um, so they're both good goaltenders. I just, I, I, I don't want to pretend like I, I can comment on that. Um, I just thought they were both great goaltenders. Um, mentally, how that affects a goaltender, you'd have to ask them, so... And looking back, do you have any uh, any fun, any good funny stories looking back in your New York career? You know, we just loved it. I mean, it's uh, Betty Ann and I. We lived in North Stanford, Connecticut. Uh, met some great people. Uh, I did want to, you know, I was hoping to play a little longer in New York. Um, you know, like I said, once they traded Kissu and Mullen, uh, you know, it was, um, you know, just to add on to that, and I'll, I'll answer your question. You know, then uh, the next year, like I said, I'm with Doug Waite, and then all of a sudden I'm up in the press box, and it's like Van Beesburg said, you know, how does somebody score 73 goals in two seasons or 72 goals or whatever ends up in the press box? But you know what? Neil just wouldn't trade me. You know what? Uh, he um, So come the trading deadline that year, I hardly played. Um, you know, Brian Prop with Minnesota blew his shoulder out, so Minnesota needed a left winger. And I was 32, and I didn't play much that season. So Neil told me that they offered a fourth-round draft pick for me, and Neil said, I just couldn't let you go. And he said, basically, if you end up scoring 30 in Minnesota, I could lose my job. You know, so that was the end of my career. I finished off in the press box that season. I scratched and clawed to come back to Detroit, but uh, had a good training camp. But I just didn't fit in their plans here. I was kind of like in New York, that extra player that you could throw in there in case somebody got injured. And, um, 
you know, and that was kind of the end of it. As far as New York, I mean, just a good bunch of guys. I mean, James Patrick, Brian Leach, Richter, I mean, and Van Beesbrook. I mean, just a bunch of good Bernie Nichols, if I can remember them all. Um, obviously, Kissio, we still keep in touch with Kelly. He's out in... He's out in Alberta, but I think he had, I think he's working the Las Vegas nights now and um haven't talked to Brian Mullen in a long time, but um uh, uh just a good nucleus and it was just fun, Kyle, because you um you had good teams, you know, and it's just um yeah, I know we didn't win a Stanley Cup, but it was fun to play on good teams. It um you know, it's fun, man. I mean, you know, New York's fun, you know, got a chance to meet a lot of uh, you know, celebrities when we were in New York and uh you know, Susan Sarandon, Tim Robbins, um, you know, just to name a couple. And um, just a fun city, exciting city, had a lot of fun, and uh, hockey was fun. And, uh, you know, people ask me, what was your favorite team? And, you know, obviously, you know, they're both original sixes, you know, Detroit and New York. But obviously it comes down to winning, you know what I'm saying, versus losing a lot. And, uh, you know, there's no insult when I was with the Red Wings. There's no insult there when I say this, but it was New York. I mean, because, you know, you you were winning. Uh, you know, you had very good teams in New York, and it was just exciting playing Madison Square Gardens. And just uh, the city itself was just, you know, extraordinary. It was just fun. So I don't think there's one exact story. Um you know, probably the highlight was I was very pleased that I was able to turn it around after, you know, two not-so-good seasons under Phil Esposito. So that was probably the highlight. To, and it was fun, you know, getting your confidence back, and the game was fun again. So so you did wrap up your career back in Detroit. Was that something you would you always wanted to do to get back to Detroit to end your career, or that something that just kind of fell into place? I actually scratched and clawed. I did a lot of it myself. You know, I remember I actually talked to Craig Patrick in Pittsburgh, and I, um, you know, I was talking with the Red Wings and you know, just trying to get that opportunity to get the training camp, and I uh, just felt strongly that I wasn't done. Um, you know, and as it turned out, um, Detroit stepped in and decided to bring me back. And um, like I said, it was a little frustrating, but I understand, you know, business is business and that's their game plan. You know, I had a good training camp. I, you know, I was, I think it was like third of the team in scoring, but uh, all of a sudden opening night, I'm not dressed. I remember sitting in the press box and uh, I was talking with a guy by the name of Randy Latticer, who was a defenseman with the Red Wings in the eighties. And he was now assistant coach with the uh, Hartford Whalers. And he said, he said, John, he says, and he's looking at the stats. He goes, why aren't you dressed? And I said, I, you know, I don't know. I thought maybe they're just going with the younger players or whatever. But it kind of went on and on and on, and I just wasn't dressing. I'm like, holy crap. You know, it's like, uh, okay, fine. You know, you just got to work hard and do whatever. And uh, when I did dress, I was lucky if I got one, you know, one one shift a period. And, um, you know, then the funny, the ironic part is, is finally they said, uh, you know, go down to minors, play a few games. And they actually had brought the farm team back to Adirondack. So I was back in Adirondack where I started my career. <laughs> so I went down to the minors, played a few games. They called me back up. I played in like seven games. I had like five goals and two assists in the seven games, but I just wasn't part of their plan, you know. And uh, and that was it. And then in the summertime, my agent called me and said, listen, the Canadian Olympic team wants you to come out. I said, uh I said, I, you know, I don't think I can do it. I said, I've been in the press box here for the last two and a half seasons. I said, I just don't know if I can do it or not. I said, you know, mentally, I'm just, you know, then he knew, you know, it, it's like I said, it's mental. And I said, no, I, I just can't do it. And you look back, was it a mistake? I don't know. But, you know, again, this game is so mental. There's no question about it. So, 
when you got back to Detroit, was there a different culture when you got back there from originally, you know, when you were first there, did you see the shifts also there with, you know, with they went in their run in the nineties as well, like with Eisenman, a, a different leader then, or, you know, Nick Lidstrom was on the team then, did you see a different, I guess, um, you know, outlook for the team? Uh, when I came back, there was definitely a lot more depth on the team. There was de- definitely uh, more talent. There's no question about it, but they were still missing something. Uh, there was a little bit of a unity that wasn't quite there that I experienced in Quebec and that I experienced with the Rangers as a team as whole. In the end, you know, as far as well, unity, I'll just leave it at that. Um, and that's why I applaud a guy like Scotty Bowman, um, you know, I only played under Scotty in all-star games and, you know, there's no coaching there, obviously. So I never, you know, and I talked to him when he's back in town a couple of times and, but Scotty had the knack of getting all these egos and personalities going in the right direction. And he didn't put up with any bull. Okay. The other thing Scotty does is when he takes over an organization, from what I understand, from what I witnessed anyways, is he kind of, I don't want to say cleans house, but and it's not like the players that he's getting rid of are bad players. He just wants to get rid of, I believe, that negative attitude in the dress room that's been there for such a long time. And, um, you know, and, and I didn't even believe it, you know, but uh, Air, um, Igor Larionov took the alumni to uh, Russia back in uh, 05 or something like that. And I remember having a Coke with um Dave Lewis was with us, and Dave was the assistant coach in Detroit. And I always thought it was just hearsay or just storytelling about, you know, Eisenman getting traded to Ottawa. And um, Dave Lewis told me, uh, you know, hey, you know what? It was almost a it was almost a done deal. And then the last minute, Mister Illich stepped in and stopped the deal. And um, and again, I'm just going what Louis told me. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. Uh, but uh, he sounded very sincere. He was assistant coach there, I believe, at the time. And um, But that's the Scotty wanted to do. And uh, he just wanted to get rid of – he just wanted to clean house. So, you know, there's a few players he got rid of. And, um, and again, nothing negative about the players. Uh, uh, I'm, you know what I'm saying? It's just the atmosphere, I believe, he wanted to change. And um, But he got he even got uh, Fedorov, uh, you know, who's, as you know, a very talented hockey player. He just got everybody going in the right direction. And that's, I believe, one of the things that makes a great coach is getting all those egos, all those personalities, and everybody, you know, on the same page. And he did a fantastic job. And I think that's what they were missing when I first got back uh, to Detroit. Um, Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Really enjoyed our talk, and and best of luck and everything going on. Well, thanks, Kyle. Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed this. Good luck to you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye. Thank you again to John O'Grodnick for joining us this week on the show. It was great to sit down and talk to him about his illustrious career and such great stories from his playing days. He's already told me that we have more stories to talk about and will hopefully come back on the show soon. And that does it for Episode 3 of the Broadway Hat Podcast. Please hit the follow button on Spotify and follow the Broadway Hat Podcast Instagram account to be notified when new episodes come out. Thanks for listening.